1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Lost in Science. My name is Claire and it's a um, special episode of Lost in Science this week. I mean, they're all pretty special, but I would say this is more special. More special because I've actually kicked Stu and Chris out of the studio this week and it is all ladies on the air, all women on the air. Hello. Hello, there we go. Whoop, whoop. (laughs) It is, in fact, the week... Of International Women's Day. I mean, just like your birthday, I think International Women's Day should have a whole week dedicated to it. Heck yeah. Yeah. So welcome to the International Women's Day episode of Lost in Science. And today on the show, I'm going to be talking a bit about the Franklin women, Australian women who are also crusaders in increasing visibility of female scientists, um, specifically in, you know, places where people go and learn about scientists, like Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. And I'm joined in the studio with Alanta Colley Hello. and Sarah Nagorka. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Alanta, what are you bringing
0: into the studio today? You are? I brought my bag, uh, my wallet, <laughs> uh, my sense of optimism... Hope right? for a better future. Oh, I love well. it. I love
1: it. Yep. Now you also have um, a show coming up.
0: I do. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to be hearing a bit about that. You're going to hear all about my brand new, mostly written show on the origin of feces. Uh, Did you Melbourne. say the origin of species? I didn't say the origin of species. <laughs> I said the origin of feces. It's uh, it was a typo uh, during submission time, and now I just have to roll with it for the entire rest of my life. <laughs> it's a I serious it. typo it's not just one letter no, no no a lot of the letters just its, it's three bit, to four letters it's all you've got to blame these things on autocorrect it's a quirky sense of humor <laughs> don't blame it on autocorrect this yeah. is one of your best puns to date it's pretty great yeah I might regret it eventually uh <laughs> spending six months of my life writing a show about poo has has had its highs and lows but uh it's something I've committed to so I'll see it through
1: I can't wait to hear more about this. And Sarah, welcome to Lost in Science. Thank you. Now, what have you got for us today?
2: Um, I'm going to tell a story about a pharmacologist who is no longer with us, but her name was Gertrude Ellion, and she was a chemist in the like, 1940s in, in America when it, it was quite unusual to, to find a woman in the lab. Yeah, um, Yeah, and some of the things she faced during that time, so... Yeah,
0: excellent.
2: Well,
1: happy International Women's Day everyone, and on with the show. Atlanta, Sarah, we are celebrating women in STEM today. Excellent. Because it is International Women's Day week, as we are calling it.
0: <laughs> month year.
2: We'll
1: month, take the whole month. <laughs> Is where it starts. That's right. And, you know, there's still a major disparity in, um, you know, gender representation in science, technology, engineering, Mm -hmm. maths, um, in the whole STEM space, as we call it. Um, And there are some really, you know, there's a lot of women who do work and aren't recognised for Mm -hmm. the work that they're doing in in that space. There's some very famous examples of this. Um, As you both probably aware, Rosalind Franklin is one of the most famous um scientists yeah so she was a scientist um who specialized in x-ray crystallography so that was back in i think the 40s the, mm-hmm. she was taking photos of dna wow. trying and they were trying to figure out what dna looked like like what the structure of it was how it worked how it splits apart and turns into two strands and all that sort of stuff so her incredible photos using x-rays mm-hmm fundamental to um, the publication and the sort of I hesitate to say discovery but I guess publication Mm. of DNA as a double helix and the people who published Mm. that was you know very familiar scientists that you would know Crick and Watson Watson and Crick they pretty much took her work without recognizing it and published before she had a chance to publish and before she got to that level and they didn't credit her at the same time so what ended up happening was she died from cancer which was inflicted by the x-rays that Mm -hmm. she was using on a regular basis and um, they got a Nobel Prize. So
0: everyone got something out of it. That's good to know. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty messed up. It's
1: pretty messed up. But many people would be familiar with the story and – and lots of women in science can relate to it. Um, so much so that in 2019, a group of women in health and medical sciences in Australia took um, Rosalind Franklin's story um, and named themselves under her name. So they're called okay. the Franklin Women.
0: Awesome. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So they're working in health and medical research and they all come together together for support, for networking, to create opportunities in inside and outside of academia, that sort of thing, That's great. Um, which is yeah, super important to create those networks. And one thing I think that um, Rosalind Franklin didn't have, mm. um, you know, when she was a scientist working. So yeah, so last year this excellent group of women took up the global charge to increase visibility of women in STEM all over the world, mm-hmm. and in July they launched the first local Wikipedia edit-a-thon. So um, this was specifically for the science sector um, and it was part of a more global movement of women in science, tech, engine, maths, Mm -hmm. um, to increase, you know, the visibility of women who – on on Wikipedia. So Mm -hmm. a whole bunch of women working in science would, you know, get their – They're inspired. Their their muses in science. You know who inspired them, and make Wikipedia pages for them.
0: Awesome.
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah, so good. And like this came out of Wikipedia, or you know, someone crunching the data on Wikipedia and seeing that only eighteen percent of all biographies on the platform um, were women. Wow. So yeah. So even though you know, even though we might be starting to see more women recognised in the mm. field, it's like, well, where's that public recognition? And as we know, Wikipedia is,
2: you know, that's yeah. the centre of the universe that's for where public you go first. Mm-hmm. recognition. It's only, only slightly better stats than the statues. Um, <laughs> oh, really? You know, I, I should um, link the Franklins up with the – I think there's um, some people at uh, La Trobe in Bandura, like, um, campus that are doing something around statues and women right. and starting – Starting from so yesterday. So, you're saying I
0: think. about 18% roughly equivalent uh, of statues are female?
2: Oh, no, I think it's much less. I think right. maybe 18% are non male humans. So, right. there's a lot more animals than females, I believe. Okay. Yeah, oh, in Australia. Yeah. Wow. It's <laughs> <That's>
0: depressing. It's <laughs> <That is> depressing. <laughs> I mean, I love an animal statue, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but that, that's telling, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, so we, we should definitely hook up the Franklin women um, with the statue you know cause and maybe dr melina georgiasakis will be the person to start with she's the founder of franklin women and she decided last year to hold um this wikipedia edit on july 25th mm. which happens to be the birthday of rosalind franklin so um a lovely tribute there mm. um But it also was a global movement started in the UK. So there was a a UK physicist, Jessica Wade, um, who's an advocate for diversity in science, led that charge as well. So, I mean, it's a super excellent idea. And as they say, like quite low-hanging fruit. I mean, it doesn't take much to be able to put in a Wikipedia article and Mm. then get that visibility at least on one
0: platform and you can't be what you can't see so if the women aren't written up in wikipedia then that's just another barrier to people seeing what is possible and what what amazing things women have done over the last however many hundreds of years that's right exactly Yeah. yeah and if you've got an amazing person add them if they're not there already So, Alanta, how are you? I'm good. You're I'm well? Good. I am well. I'm tired, but I'm well. I'm good. Here. That's what matters.
1: Now, Alanta, you are a comedian, uh-huh. a stand-up comedian. Yep. You're a science communicator. Sure am. You wear many hats at many times. Yes.
0: Well, you know, with the UV rays, you've got to get as much
1: coverage as you can. (laughs) Just all the hats all the time. You're also a regular on Lost in Science. I
0: know. I love this place. Can't get rid of me.
1: It's so good to have you here. Thank you. You're also here because you have a new show coming up for the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. I do.
0: Yes. On the origin of feces.
1: The origin of feces. Yeah. I mean, I just wish Darwin was alive to, <laughs> to hear that great pun. He's really missing out.
0: He's turning in his grave. You can <laughs> just hear it. This is not what he intended it to be. But that said, Darwin was massively keen on feces. I, um, I, I decided to read On the Origin of Species a few years ago. It took me six months, for starters. Oh, yeah. And the only way that I get myself motivated... <laughs> To get through it, but I, I broke down my favourite quotes from from Darwin because Darwin was an amazing dude and like had this incredible five years on on the beagle and then came home to London and just potted around in his backyard. <laughs> and one of the things he would do would be to go around his garden and collect bird poo. And oh. then extract, um, see if he could find anything in it that would germinate. If he wow. found any seeds in the bird poo, and actually just see if he could get a plant to to grow from the from the bird poo. So he was big on feces. So I think he probably isn't too upset with what I've done with the title
2: no. of this show.
1: No, I think he would be <laughs> celebrating it. <laughs> so moving from the origin of the species slash feces to the to the origin of the
0: feces uh-huh.
1: of feces. Yeah,
0: yeah. Tell us about your show. Yeah. um, So I decided I wanted to do this show because I was really interested in the research coming out around gut bacteria and fecal transplants. And um, I read this amazing book called Gut by Julia Enders, who's this German doctor. I hope she's got a Wikipedia page. I'll check. Yes, she probably does. She's pretty, um, she's popular. She came to Melbourne, I think. Maybe last year and just sold out instantly. I feel like talks. that
1: book has quite a transformative effect over people's lives. It does, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and it's a it's an it's definitely it's very much science communication. It's very lay, um, probably a little bit too lay for my t- liking. I would have liked a bit more science, but that's you know coming with a public health background there. Um, but she's just starting. She yeah, she wrote that a few years ago and was starting to popularize this understanding that we're, you know, the way that microbiology research is going is that we're, we're seeing that specific bacteria are needed for our, for a healthy gut microbiome. And she was just starting to hint at some of the incredible research that's being done. And it was very early on when she wrote that book and there's been, so I was sort of like, I'm going to sit on this topic, I'm going to wait a couple of years and I'm going to see what research comes out um, because i reckon everyone's doing this yeah (laughs) and some incredible stuff's come out so there's been some massive studies in europe about um, looking at clinical depression and there's been two um, kinds of bacteria that they've identified that are missing from the gut microbiomes of people with clinical depression so they're starting to use faecal transplants to actually treat depression among wow. many other things they can yeah. they can be that specific
1: and sort of drill down that yeah. much and be like, oh, these two strains yeah. of bacteria are missing.
0: They were they were pretty large cohorts, so they're taking samples from large numbers of people. Yeah, uh, and they they did it in two different European countries. So it's still early days, but they were significant results from those those studies. So yeah, that was that wow. was, and it, it's hard research to do because everyone has a completely unique microbiome and that's actually one of the things when they talk about probiotics you can Mm. throw a probiotics tablet in one person's microbiome mix and it will have huge effects yeah and other people will not have any impact so it's very interesting area and it's it's like your thumbprint your microbiome so yeah it's it's early days but it's fascinating what the research is starting to show
2: it's interesting when i went through um, pharmacy school there was a lot of talk about the future of medicine and drugs and how um, it would be very, you know, individualised and personalised. But yeah. we never really talked about the microbiome. It's just so crazy. Like most of us have
0: like about two kilos of gut microbiome and our brain is only one and a half kilos. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what the really fascinating science is showing now is how the gut bacteria actually talks to the brain. You know, they're hacking the system. We know the vagus nerve has all of these neurons within the gut lining and the gut walls and that people with upset, you know, people with IBS or Crohn's disease have a lot more information heading to the brain and telling the brain that something's going on. But then the gut bacteria is getting in there and sending messages and the theory, I don't know if they've got enough science to prove this yet, but the theory is if certain kinds of bacteria love certain kinds of food, which we know they do, they will send reward signals. Oh, wow. To the brain when you eat that kind of food. Uh, wow. Yes. Which is.
2: So, I can hear them now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what you think is your favorite food. It's not your favorite food, it's your gut it's microbiome. Dennis's favorite yeah. food. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Dennis
0: and his friends. Yeah. Mm. It's just I, I, what I love about. I, th- I mean, this topic came. I did my show a couple of years ago, which was Parasites Lost. And. Um, a huge part of that was just, like, how much parasites manipulate us and how all these, you know, they're, they're actually part of our system. We're just this, like, multicellular collective bargaining agreement, really. And, uh, yeah, gut microbiome is just yet another thing in the mix. We're not just this, like, single soul. We're we're just a whole bunch of different things competing for attention.
1: Alanta, so you're show is playing at the Melbourne international comedy festival for people coming to Melbourne. Mm. Um, when can they see it? And how do they
0: find out about their
1: hands on a ticket? And will you be giving away toilet paper
0: (laughs) with (laughs) no, I'm keeping it all myself. I can't have any (laughs) sleep on a giant pile of toilet paper at night. (laughs) Get your own. No, um, I'm selling tickets. They're very absorbent and pliable. Uh, Hygienic. Hygienic. Reply Hygienic. tickets. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, my show's playing from the 24th of March to the 4th of April. No Sundays. Um, yeah, just go to comedyfestival.com.au, type feces in there. I think, <laughs> I think it's the only show with feces in the title. i yeah. have gone with the British spelling. It's F-A-E-C-E-S because Darwin was a Brit and that feels... Necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I cannot wait to learn more about uh, poop. I mean, I think, I think we
0: all should be. Yeah. If it is two kilos of our body weight. Um, this is it, right? Like, uh, you look at the things we were taught when we were in primary school. I learned about every single bushranger <laughs> <in> Australia <laughs> yes. it's ever had. <laughs> I, I know how, uh, was it Captain Starlight, escaped Cockatoo Island. <laughs> But uh, I don't know. I was not taught important things about the menstrual cycle or whether my poo uh, tells me whether I'm healthy. There's stuff that you need to know on a day-to-day basis. Well, Alanta, thank you so much for joining us for International Women's Day special. My pleasure. (laughs) And and lowering the tone. (laughs) Anytime you need the tone lowered, just give me a call.
2: So I wanted to tell the story about um, Gertrude Ellion, who is a pharmacologist. She's no longer with us, but um, she's interesting to me because I studied pharmacy and she was working at a time when women were not very visible in science. Mm. So I have actually told this story before at a science storytelling event called the Labora Story. Of course. Which is in Melbourne. Yes.
1: (laughs) And our listeners would know Labora Story because Mm. for many years, our summer series was... Um, dedicated to Labora Story
0: shows.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And it's coming back, right? It is coming back, in fact. With um, a vengeance. With yes. a vengeance. <laughs> it's back in Melbourne. We just had a show just this past week and we will be back again in June. So it's at Howler in Brunswick. Yeah. And also in Perth as well. So it's in spreading Perth. its wings. It is spreading its wings. Yes. You okay? should
1: definitely head to the Labora Story website, but not now.
2: <laughs> i like listen on. to the story Yeah, first. yeah. So um, Gertrude was born in uh, New York in 1918 and her father was a dentist and her mother worked at home but she was the one that heavily encouraged Gertrude to go and get an education and, and a career and Gertrude did that she was very good at school by 15 she was ready to to go to college and to choose what she was going to do with her life but that same year she'd she'd watched her grandfather get cancer and rapidly deteriorate and Mm. be in a lot of pain and he passed away and so she decided that she was going to find a cure to cancer she went to college and graduated with a degree in chemistry but she got out and she couldn't get work because she was a woman Um, And at one point she remembers being rejected because they said she'd just be too distracting Mm -hmm. in the lab. Mm -hmm. And Mm. she says about that time that she hadn't actually been aware that any doors were closed to her until she started knocking. Mm. Like Mm. she had this beautiful...
0: So it's view cra- of the world. It's crazy that she she got through university and that, you know, wasn't mm. wasn't bumping into that sort of patriarchy, let's be honest. There, but it was actually the workforce which was the first place that pushed her out.
2: Yeah, it's hard to know. In in interviews she sounds like just a very positive and upbeat person. Maybe she just sort of <laughs> let it fly over her, I don't know. So she decided to train as a secretary. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Which is both amazingly admirable with because of persistence, yeah. but incredibly depressing. She did get some secretary work and also eventually landed some science teaching and an unpaid position in a laboratory, mm-hmm. reputedly washing dishes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Around this time, she had fallen in love with a fellow student. He was a, a math student by the name of Leonard um, Cantet, and they planned to marry, but um, Leonard became ill. And in forties, in 1941, he actually died of um, bacterial endocarditis, which is an infection of the heart. And this further tragedy made Gertrude want to even more so become a biochemist and a pharmacologist. So she eventually saved enough um, with her science teaching to pay her way own way to New York University. Even though she had applied, wow. she had applied fifteen times to get funding. Wow! And got rejected fifteen times again due to gender bias, but. Yeah, eventually she just found her own way to pay for it. Wow, so dedicated. persistence <laughs> It's that's incredible. Yeah. I know. And um, post-masters, again, she was unable to find a research position, so she went into food testing, uh, specifically testing the acidity of pickles, <laughs> which is uh-huh. quite relevant. She was Polish. <laughs> um, well, a Pol- Polish immigrant, her parents were. And also testing the colour of egg yolks going into mayonnaise. Hmm okay so it's got to be done yeah you may wonder why i'm highlighting this end of her career rather than the later successful end and that's because i personally find the sort of murky and indecisive points um very interesting Mm. it's easy to say oh in hindsight everything worked out for Mm. her but you know she was testing the color of it and being like yellow (laughs) yellowish yellow you know thinking Mm. of her lost love and Uh, you know uh, it would be pretty dismal times i think
0: and she didn't know at that point that things were going to work out you know the
2: persistence that she's shown you know through tragedy and through rejection is Mm. incredible yeah amazing and she thought she got a big break when she moved to a position at at johnson and johnson you might know them for their band-aids um (laughs)
0: baby shampoo big on baby shampoo yeah no tears is that this yeah yeah not a baby oil as well
2: yeah what is that to fry (laughs) them sorry (laughs) Weird, weird. (laughs) Yeah, but it ultimately just involved testing the strength of um, sutures rather than biochemistry. Mm. So, dun-dun. Inching closer. Yeah. Well, what helped her in the end was World War II, which just diminished the amount of men that were in the working force. Like, Mm. they were off Mm. fighting. And that was her big break. Yeah. yeah, That's a common
0: story, isn't it? That was a chance for a lot more female representation in so many different areas
2: mm. yeah so 1944 she started working with george hitchings who she'd eventually go on and win a joint nobel prize with so spoiler alert <laughs> <laughs> nobel prizes and everything she says apparently oh yeah yep. <laughs> she's much more proud of her discoveries but um yeah. <laughs> now at this point drug discovery was done a lot more like with serendipity it was like bit done by accident, but Mm. this lab with Hitchings and and, Ellian, they were doing it much more methodically and um, that's what they won the prize for eventually. It was like their method rather than everything they'd discovered. Mind you, they did discover a lot of things. Right. I'll just skip through them because she in fact has 43, I think it's 43 patents to her name. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah,
0: She was busy. She
1: was very
0: busy.
2: I'm so so
1: glad that there's more patents
2: than there are rejections to... Mm to the nyu (laughs) yeah it's a good ratio in that one. so they were working on drugs that um affect dna production basically so in 1950s she developed an anti-cancer drug called mercaptopurine, which is still used today to treat leukemia and crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis and the thing is when gertrude ellen started leukemia was a Death sentence basically, but by Mm. the time she died in 1999, um, around 80% of leukemia causes were like curable.
0: Amazing! Wow, and
1: that was the direct result of the drugs that she yeah. discovered. Yeah, that's incredible. Oh, I imagine seeing that what in a know. lifetime. just yeah. seeing what was a death sentence. Yeah, it. no it's- wonder. Like you would, you would claim that as yeah. your life's work rather than a Nobel Prize. Very yeah. satisfying. Yeah,
2: and she said she did receive a lot of letters from people personally thinking, Like my child is still alive. Oh, that's because of wow. you. You know. So um, Hitchings and Ellian didn't um, develop new drugs. They developed new classes of drugs, like. The whole class. Wow. So right. Okay. It's just, I cannot emphasize how productive they were uh, the- as a team. Yeah. And other ones she developed. Um, she developed immunosuppressives that now make organ transplants possible. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And the earliest HIV and AIDS treatments, so um, AZT. What? That must
0: have been the 90s? Do you know?
2: Yeah, it must have been the so this was very late in her career. In fact, she might have even semi-retired at this mm. point, but it's still attributed to her. And also relevant to today is that um, people thought that antivirals would not be possible to make because um, mm. they thought that would be too toxic for the, the healthy cells, and, but they made the first um, antiviral. So acyclovir. So if anyone here gets cold sores and uses, you know, <laughs> cold sore cream, that's acyclovir. So, thank you, Gertrude Ellion. <laughs> I mean, I don't have her. No. Um, <laughs> sorry. Allopurinol for gout, um, a treatment for malaria. Oh my gosh. Just, this really is sort of like Scattergun. Yeah. Yeah.
0: They're all very, very different drugs. Exactly. Um, Yeah, treating completely
1: different things. Mm -hmm. Wow. (laughs) It's just like she had a crack at everything and, you know,
0: just like, oh, there's another one. Yeah, she must have or just had like this killer methodical process. It's amazing. Um,
2: So when she received the Nobel Prize in um, 1988, she was the only woman that year to receive one. And the Wikipedia entry, you might be interested to know, said that she was wearing a blue chiffon dress. Oh, boy. <laughs> which, oh I, you know, I, I don't know what Hitchings was wearing, which is very disappointing. So yeah, because like, it's probably like, not
1: in his Wikipedia page, is
0: it? <laughs>
2: no, I might go no. and change that. Yeah, yeah. You should. Oh, gold. Oh, amazing. <laughs> um, Grey
0: woolen jacket. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Women's Weekly meets Wikipedia. Yes! Mm. Oh, Do you think oh, it's Lord. there just because there's a lack of other information that they could share about her?
2: Surely not. <laughs> no. I got it wrong. Forty-five patents, not forty-three. Forty-five. <laughs> okay. Um, she did never. She never did get to develop a uh, cure for the cancer that killed her grandfather, which was um, stomach cancer. And in the end, most of her work was, um, yeah, with leukemias rather than heart tumor cancers. But needless to say, she, you know, changed the course of history for many, many people. Yeah. And she died at the age of eighty-one in nineteen ninety-nine with massive legacy of invention and mentorship and persistence what <laughs> a legend
1: And that's all we have time for on a special International Women's Day edition of Lost in Science. Big thanks to Sarah Nagorka and Atlanta Colley. Lost in Science is recorded in the studios of 3CR and broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network with the kind support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or at lostinsci at gmail.com or just listen next week when Stu, Claire, and Chris will be back in the studio.